Thank you for listening to this week's message from New Day Community Church in Vandalia. We hope this message encourages and blesses you. Look us up and contact us at newdaycommunity.org. Okay, God, what's your perspective? And we really want to ask him for that. So let's look at some facts. These are just some basic facts. I'm not making these up. These are just real facts. If you make $37,000 a year then, how do you think I should finish that sentence? Any ideas? You're doing good? Okay. $37,000 a year. That's a, a little bit lower than the median income in the U.S. But, you know, probably like middle class, something like that, right? Sorry? And so on a global scale, globally, $37,000 a year puts you in the top 4% of wage earners on a global scale. So I would suggest that if you are anywhere even near the $37,000 a year mark, then you actually are rich, and that's per household. So that's kind of a different perspective. And then think about the five-day work week. You know, I'd like a four-day work week. That sounds pretty good. Three-day weekend. I'd go for that. I'd like to work in France. I get a lot of vacation. But, you know, five-day work week. We work five days, and we have enough for seven. That's new. That's not that recent of a development, really. You know, for a long time, it was a six-day work week. Lots of places in the world, it's still a seven-day work week. You know, and on top of that, this is one person often is working a five-day work week to sustain a household of three, four, or five, right? So again, like, huh, we, we actually live in one of the richest countries in the richest time in history. That's the perspective, right? So actually, it's not how to get rich, it's how to understand that we are rich and how can we be rich in our actions. So this is for, I borrowed from psychology. We, we have something called a mental filter. We all do this on different things. And the example here is I'm stupid, but you could use pretty much any example. Now, there's six facts up there, six facts on that screen that are all entirely true about this individual that believes they're stupid. But because they have a mental filter, what they do is they listen to or pay attention to or remember those top three. I failed my exams. I'm dyslexic. You know, I lost my temper. I'm not a good parent, that kind of thing. That's what they focus on and remember. But the bottom three statements are absolutely just as true and valid. I successfully run my own business for 23 years. I won the pub quiz with my friends. And I've been a successful photographer and have exhibited things nationally. But because we have a mental filter, we pay attention to the ones that agree with our statement. So the top three agree with this idea, I'm stupid, and the bottom three disagree with it. And so this is just something that we do. I don't know why I would suggest that sin has distorted our thinking, and that's why. But this is what we do. And I think we do the exact same thing when we think about our money. Am I rich? Am I poor? Do I have enough? Do I not have enough? Right? And so we pay attention to the things that we don't have. I can tell you for a fact that I do not have a very great smartphone. I do have a smartphone. It might as well not be. (laughs) It's a Blackberry. (laughs) Wait, what? Those exist? Anyways, it's from work. I don't have to pay a phone bill. So actually, I'm really grateful for it. You know, but we think about that. We don't have the latest whatever. We don't have the coolest John Deere tractor. 
we don't have the nicest car, you know, I would like more closet space in my house, like that kind of thing. And that's what we focus on, and we forget to focus on, like, I have a car that runs and is reliable and got me here this morning, you know. I have a home that has heat in it. That's pretty awesome. I'm pretty excited that I can go home this afternoon and be warm in my house. So it's a matter, again, of focus and where you're paying attention and just remembering that we do selectively filter these things. So this is all part of the perspective. Has anyone heard of first world problems? Have you seen this video? It's, a, it's three minutes, so bear with it, but it's pretty funny, and there might be a, an ad before it. Sorry about that. If it works, Mark, it won't work. Oh, okay. Ignore the Bud Light ad. I'm not, I'm not endorsing Bud Light. All right, so that's pretty funny, but that just, you know, it's funny how, you know, you can't find the TV remote. It can kind of send you in a little bit of an anxiety attack, right? (laughs) And then you sit back and you get some perspective and you think, hmm, that's a first world problem. It's probably not a big deal. So um, this is really interesting. So rich is a moving target. So studies have shown when you talk to someone and ask them, what does it mean to be rich? What does it mean to be rich? What they will answer is double their income. If they make 30000 let's say 60000 is rich. You make 60000 120000 is rich, 120000 240000 is rich. Well, surely that stops at some point, right? Nope. You're a million, you make a million, two million is rich. You make five, ten million is rich, et cetera. It keeps going. The truth is it's a moving target. So thinking about this, why would this be a moving target? How do you, why do you never feel like you've arrived? And you know what I think the answer is? I think when we think of what it's like to be rich, it means we don't have to think about money. I can do whatever I want, and I don't have to worry about money. Money doesn't work like that. We're called to be stewards of money. We're always meant to manage our money, right? That's just part of how it works. So there's never a point at which you don't have to worry about it because you're actually called to be a steward. So from that perspective, let's quit trying to achieve this thing that's unattainable and realize we are rich. It's an attitude of the mind and a perspective. Well, but if I had more money, then I could be more generous, right? That's what's holding me back, really. I mean, let's be truthful. This is interesting. Studies have also shown that on a percentage basis, the more money you have, the less percent of money you give away. So someone who makes 50000 on average gives away about 6%. Someone who makes 200000 on average gives away about 4%. That's ridiculous, right? If you can give away 10% at 30000 you definitely should be able to give away 10% at 300000 Right? That's what I'm going to suggest. But this is just something that doesn't happen. So I'm just throwing this out here because these are the types of things that we think about in our mind but studies don't show them to be true. So we have, you know, this moving target. If I just had more, I'd be rich. Well, when I have more, I can be more generous. But the truth is human nature doesn't do that. So the challenge is here, until you relax into the reality that you are rich, and we are by global standards, you will never become intentional about getting good at it. 
So this is all about how to be rich. How can we reflect the nature of Christ with our money? And how can we relax into this idea and actually do what we're called to do? So perspectives. So now the effects of affluenza. So money, as I told you, you make more money, people give less away. What's that about? Well, one of the things that happens is people move their hope around, right? So as they get more money, suddenly, you know, don't need God quite as much because we can trust in our money. And that is part of the affluenza problem. Proverbs 38 to 9 says, Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? So there's just a warning there. I'm, I'm not saying that this says we can't have money or, or be stewards well. What I'm saying is we just need to be cognizant that this is something that can happen. We need to be prepared so that when we do have more, we're good at it. In 1 Timothy 6:17, Paul says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And so you can see down here, you know, imagine when you see like a cigarette carton or alcohol or something, there's a warning, the Surgeon General puts a warning on there. So there should be a warning label that comes with money. The affluenza warning may cause arrogance. Well, taking this medicine, extra precaution should be taken not to offend people. If taken for prolonged periods, may impair perception, causing hope to migrate. Now, I'm telling you this not to, not to, like, you know, this is a terrible sermon. But instead to say, like, you know what? The whole point is just to have an attitude of gratitude for what we have. You know, make money work for you. Don't work for it. So, uh. What's the antidote? Well, what Paul tells us in the next verse in Timothy, 1 Timothy 6, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. That's how you're good at being rich. It's called generosity. Okay, well, that's great. I can do that. What does that mean, though? How can I put that into practical, practical application? Okay, well, here you go. Here's the biblical prescription for affluenza. You don't need to see your doctor to get this prescription. It's right there in the Bible. The three Ps, we like alliteration. Thank you, Pastor Cameron. Priority giving, percentage giving, and progressive giving. So this is your plan. This is your prescription. Three Ps. Oh, thank you. (laughs) The first is priority giving. What does that mean? Well, I don't know how many of you are employed by, you know, not self-employed, like you're getting a check from an employer. I am. And, you know, my employer tells me that I make a certain amount of money, right? But my check never has that much money in it, right? It never does. Like, it's always less. I'm like, what is that about, right? Well, it's called taxes, right? And the government, I, I believe, has a high priority on getting their money, and they think that I won't. <laughs> So they take that out right away, right? Right off the top, I never get to see that money because the government has a priority on getting their money. Well, you know what? If the government, if it's good enough for the government to get their money first, I'd like to suggest it's good enough for God to get his money first. So make your giving a priority. 
You know, one really, really practical thing that I do, and um, it makes it a lot easier, frankly, is when I put my, like, when I get my check and it goes in my account and balancing my checkbook, you know, like a good little person, and I write the line at them, you know, deposit from work, amount. You know the amount that I write in my checkbook? It's the amount minus my tithe. In my world, that money is never mine to touch or play with, right? That's the priority. It's already spent. It was spent the moment they cut the check at my employer. That's what priority giving is. And if you put it into your budget like that, it actually is pretty simple. And it's, again, the idea of putting your hope in God and not in riches. All right, so that's priority giving. The second is percentage giving. So we all know this story about the widow's offering in Mark 12. I'll just read it to you. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. And the idea here is that it's not the amount, it's the percentage. Right? And the Bible gives us actually guidelines on this. It talks about the tithe, which means a tenth, and that's that's where the Bible starts with. But I would suggest that, you know what, start somewhere. Start with a percentage, not a dollar amount. And when you get a raise or you get a different job or your life situation changes, you stick with that percentage. You don't look at the number. You look at the percent, percentage giving. It's, again, the percentage, not the amount. And I think this is the direct correlation between when people make more, they give percentage-wise less because that number gets bigger. You know, when you're giving away 10% on 30000 that's 3000 When you're giving away 10% on 500000 that's 50000 50000 is like, you know, a car half of a house or something, you know what I mean? Like, it seems scarier. That's why you focus on the percent and not the the number. Third part of the prescription, so priority giving, percentage giving, progressive giving. Over time, the goal is actually to raise the percentage. Now, the idea here is you've heard of um, antibiotic-resistant strains, right? You're talking about affluenza. So when you uh, get really comfortable with what you've been giving and it becomes kind of like, just what you do. Sometimes the affluenza bug can kind of creep back in. It comes in a little bit more strongly. So the idea here is, you know, just increase that percentage a little bit. The idea is that life is not stagnant. It's progressive, and so should your giving. So maybe it means, you know, you find a child dispenser or you invest in a clean water act or I don't know. Like, But there's this idea that, you know, it's kind of fun. I don't know. Giving is really fun. So it's exciting to me when I'm like, okay, well, we're, you know, we've got our tithe and that's good. And, hey, now we could do this. And that's really exciting. I, I don't know. Kind of pumps me up. Anyways, okay. So the three Ps for the prescription for affluenza are priority giving, percentage giving, and progressive giving. But wait, there's more. So that's the prescription. And now this is like your multivitamin. Okay, the prescription booster little extra. Be aware of the awareness problem. I'd like to start with a second here. Chips and hummus, is there ever enough? 
So, okay, this I've noticed that this truly happens in my life. And so I'm just going to share a deep, dark secret here. Sometimes we eat chips and hummus while we're watching TV. Sometimes, sometimes Graham will be like, you want some chips and hummus? I'm like, yeah, maybe. So he'll bring it up and he'll start eating them. I'll be like, well, maybe, I, I don't know. Yeah, I'll have a couple. So I have a couple. Kind of good. Have a couple more. Pretty soon I'm like, I really need to eat this entire bag. Like, there is not enough chips and hummus in the world to satisfy this craving, and every single bite makes me want more and feels like I haven't even had any ever. Right? It's like this amazing combination of salt and fat and sweet amazingness, and and I just want more and more. Like, this appetite gets stirred up, and I want more. And then, actually, that's a real thing, the appetite for more. That's a real thing. There's three things that happen in our brain which is kind of interesting. The first is we have impact bias. And that's when an appetite is stimulated, the brain will magnify it out of proportion to other appetites. So it, you will overestimate how happy you're going to be if you satisfy that particular appetite. A really good example of this is like that dessert tray at the restaurant, right? You go out to eat, you have a nice meal, feeling pretty good, you're not hungry, ready to go, the waitress or the server brings the dessert tray, that cheesecake looks amazing. I clearly need to have it, right? Like, the whole meal doesn't count anymore unless I can have this cheesecake. (laughs) I need this cheesecake because now I know it exists and now I really want it and it's going to change my life, right? (laughs) Which is another thing we do. We over-magnify or over-exaggerate the consequences. It's going to change my life if I get this. Right? It's not going to change your life. But in the moment, it really feels like this, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. The third thing that happens is focus. Our mind will become really focused on this one thing, just kind of like we started with those pictures. And so everything else becomes kind of blurred, or you don't have good perspective, and all you can see is this one thing. And that's what happens when the appetite is stirred up. And, you know, this is another idea that appetites were created by God. And then sin distorted them. So it's not that an appetite is bad. It's just that it's been distorted in some ways. And so we need to be aware of the awareness problem. As you become aware that you don't have something, suddenly you clearly need it. And then you feel poor because you don't have the latest upgrade or you don't have the this, you don't have the that. See what I'm saying? Right? So that's the awareness problem. So what's, how do we fix that? The C word, contentment. First Timothy 6, 6, but godliness with contentment is a great gain. But discontentment leads to ruin. And that's really true. Contentment is more valuable than the things you acquire because of discontentment. I'm sure you can think of examples in your life where that's happened. So what I suggest is what we need to do is cultivate awareness of the things that really matter. So one thing you can do is increase awareness of what other people need. So first, that leads to generosity often. It also leads to attitude of gratitude in yourself because you realize that you might not have that need, and then you can appreciate what you do have more. And the other thing is is we can disconnect from the awareness pipeline. And what I mean by that is we live in a very, very highly consumeristic society. I mean, I don't know if anyone has looked at this, but you know the 30-minute TV show? How much actual programming time is in a 30-minute TV show now? Like 20 minutes maybe? Right? (laughs) Okay. 
Because why? Because of commercials, right? I mean, a 30-minute TV show used to actually be 30 minutes. This is why the BBC is amazing, because they don't have commercials between their TV. So a 30-minute TV show is really 30 minutes. It's amazing. Okay, anyways. <clears throat> so when you're watching TV, they put in all these commercials. In the Super Bowl today, there's going to be a million ads, and they'll be entertaining and fun, and we're all going to watch them because it's fun, right? But at the same time, you're also going to suddenly be aware of all these products that you don't have, right? And then you're aware of them, and now you've got the awareness problem, and you really need those things. So just to be aware, like, that's our society. Our society is just really a consumer-based society. That's what we do. Be aware of it and purposefully try to disconnect from it some, you know? Like, if you go to the home show because it's cool and you get good ideas, but you also go home and hate your house, maybe don't go to the home show. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, be nice to yourself. (laughs) Set yourself up for some success. You never miss money given to meet a need in someone's life. And I think this is really true. We miss our money that we misspend, that we waste, that we invest poorly. But when you give money to someone who had a need, you really don't miss it. And it goes back to this idea of being generous, and that's the antidote for, for affluenza. So here's the recap. Generosity. Wealth can have negative side effects. It doesn't have to. It wasn't set up to be that way. The way God set it up is for us to be generous with each other. And so we, we can be extremely wealthy and have awesome attitudes and really reflect the heart of God by giving money away or by being generous. You can be generous with your time. You can be generous in all sorts of ways. But today we're talking about finances, so I'm focused on money. And I just want to leave you with this thought. Paul commanded us to be generous, not because he wanted our money. You know, Paul was a tent maker. He didn't depend on other people to pay for his his life. He commanded us to be generous because he didn't want our money to have us. He didn't want our money to have us. So I just want to leave you with that thought. We live in a very rich time in a very rich nation, and I know that there's real struggles that, that people have. They're real. I'm not trying to minimize those at all. So I'm just saying, you know, we do have it pretty good in the grand scheme of things. And with a little perspective and a little focus on Christ, we can really change the way we think about it in our view, and we can focus on what we do have instead of what we don't, and it really will change. It really will change your life, and it will change other people's lives.